Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's all get our Bibles out together to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. I'm very thankful to be here with you and excited to be here. I've never been when uh, school was going on. When school was in session, I've been here for leadership many times and just so thankful for this ministry and the impact that it's had on me from a distance. And I want to thank uh, Brother Chapel and Brother Gatch for the opportunity to be here and the staff and faculty have been such an encouragement and a help to me and many of you students that I've met. It's been great getting to get to know you as well. Just thankful for the spirit here, the encouragement that it's already been. Thank you for that song that was just sung. And uh, one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And let, but let's not wait till we get there to praise him. We need to do that each and every day of our life. And uh, as, as Brother Getz said, I've moved to Midland after the new year. And, uh, you know, five Sundays in, I am a seasoned pastor now. And uh, if anybody has any questions about how it's done, ask me. And uh, I will show you someone else that can answer those questions. <laughs> And uh, I've been asked a lot just the last day, where, where is Midland? And you really, the best way to describe it is drive to the middle of nowhere and you're almost there. And, uh, but we do have about 300,000 people right there in that area um, that need to be reached. And uh, a lot of oil workers, a lot of uh, rougher crowd people that are searching or just looking for money, putting all their hope in that or in, in different other things there in the region, they need Jesus. And I'm excited to be there. Just excited to be with you today. I wish my family was here with me, my wife of 13 years, Hallie. I'm very thankful for her. And uh, we were able to serve together for many years there in Indiana. We're in her home church under her pastor and just so thankful for where we are now. I have five kids. Uh, Jackson's 11, Peter's 10, Charlotte is eight, and then I have twin girls that are six. And uh, very, very thankful for them and how God is working in their life. And uh, I just realized yesterday, I've been so busy. I was there in Phoenix in the airport and they're hosting the Super Bowl. That's this weekend. You mentioned your uh, activity there after the Sunday night service. How many Chiefs fans do we have? Do we have any Chiefs fans here? Okay. All right. Eagles fans? I'm so sorry. So sorry. One of you is going to have a bad day Sunday. Um, what about Colts fans, the, re the real ones? How many we got? Let's see one. Okay, two. See, we didn't have to deal with the stress this year. We just got to enjoy the playoffs. And I hated it, but we'll be back. We'll be back. All right. I heard of this lady uh, that went to the Super Bowl, and there was a bunch of people there with her behind and seeing that she was sitting by herself. There was an empty chair next to her. And as they noticed what was going on, halftime came. That chair was still empty, and you would think at the Super Bowl, every seat would need to be filled. And these people questioned why that was the case, and they asked her, why she was there by herself and why no one was there with her. And she said, well, my husband uh, just passed away and this was his seat. And they felt bad about that. And they began to talk to her and try to encourage her and said, well, what about a family member or a friend? None of them wanted to come. And she goes, well, none of them could make it. They're all at the funeral. <laughs> that lady had priorities. <laughs> Maybe not the right ones, but she had priorities. And as we, as we look here in Luke chapter two, we're going to see some priorities of Mary and Joseph. We're going to see a priority of Jesus. I hope this is an encouragement to you as we read here, beginning in, in verse 41 of Luke 2. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind them in Jerusalem. 
And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I want to preach you this morning for just a little bit on the thought of don't walk without Jesus. Don't walk without Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here today, God, to preach your word. Lord, I thank you for allowing us, Lord, to fellowship with you. God, I pray this morning, God, that you'd work in my heart as you already have in this text, God, and that you'd work in each and every individual here, that you'd speak to us in a special way. And God, that we'd be more motivated, God, to have you first in our life every step we take. Lord, bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oswald Chambers said, your priorities must be God first, God second, God third, until your life is continually face-to-face with God. Is that where you are today? Is that where your priorities are set? Does that describe your heart? And as we, as we look at this text, we see that Mary and Joseph had prioritized the commands of God. And they traveled a little over 90 miles from Jerusalem to, with the caravan of their family. And you know, as we look at the word of God, we can look in the book of Exodus and understand that it was commanded that all Jewish males were required by Jewish law to attend three feasts at the temple every year. The feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and the feast of Tabernacles. But as we look there at the law and what was instructed to them, we, we know that the women were not required to make those trips. But we look here in Luke 2 and we find that there was dedication shown by not only Joseph and Jesus, but by Mary and possibly the other women in this group that went showing their dedication to God and, and to this week and to the Passover and remembrance of it. And we see Mary and Joseph made it a priority in their life to not only be there themselves, but to train their children to be there as well. And they obeyed the commandments of God. Just a little bit of application for, there, for us this morning. The Bible says Jesus himself said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love God, you'll do what he says. If you love God, you will serve him as he's commanded you to do so. If you love God, you'll obey him. You know, some here this morning, I don't know what the ages are of you. I, when I got to college, I was 17. There's, there's people here, you're, you're young, you're, you're, you're starting in your life of ministry for the Lord. And as, you, as you're starting, you may be under here, under the umbrella still of your home pastor, your parents. Some people that care about you and maybe encourage you to come. But no matter what your, your place is in this life, no matter where your mind is at at this moment, uh, you must come to a place in your life where you make the decision for yourself that you're going to live according to the word of God. 
You're gonna obey what it says, you're going to live by it, not just because people have told you to or instructed you to or people that you respect and love have lived that way, but because you have decided for yourself to stand on the word of God and obey what it says. Just as Joshua prompted the people in Joshua chapter 24, we must choose you this day whom you will serve. And even in Bible college, there may be people that really haven't made that decision for themselves and we must be determined to obey the word to obey his commands, to do what it is that you've said. You cannot have God and the world. You cannot have him and all your distractions. Either he is in first place or you have a different God. Make him a priority, obey his commands. We see they did that, but they didn't just obey his commands, they made his worship a priority. You know, as the official time of Passover had come, in the middle of their day, work and preparation had, had, would cease there that last day for the sacrifice to begin. Is my microphone on? Am I good? Am I good? Okay. And around three in the afternoon, a ram's horn would sound. And after hearing the horn, the worshipers would gather there in the temple. And at that time, a representative from each family would come and they would sacrifice the lamb. And as that happened, the priest would come at that moment and the priest would, would come with basins and catch the blood. And as the priests would catch the blood, they would then take all of that blood that they received and they would take it and they would pour it on the altar. It was a, it was a wonderful sight. And after the sacrifice was completed, the lamb would then be taken to each of their individual dwelling places and they would roast the lamb and they would, they would eat it. And then they would talk about all that God did for them in that Passover night. Talk about the, the sacrifice that was made and how God did exactly what he said he would do and how that lamb took care of a price for them and their firstborn was saved. Can I remind you this morning the story of our lamb who was sacrificed for us. And he lived a perfect life. He came here for you. And at the age of 33, he died and he paid a debt that we could never pay. He was the sacrifice for our sin. And we didn't deserve the redemption. We don't deserve anything that was done for us. We don't deserve the salvation that we have in him. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, even Christ, our Passover, our lamb, sacrificed for us. And understanding that today, he deserves to be our priority. Not just in what he's told us to do, but in his worship, in his praise. He's worthy of it. You know, sadly, the devil has done everything he can the last many decades to pervert the terms praise and worship. Almost to a point that many Baptists are afraid to use, use those terms because, it's, because of what it's associating with. But God has commanded us to do that. He expects us to give him true worship. He expects us to give him to praise. I'm preaching to our church Sunday night out of John chapter four, the thought of true worship. We looked there in John chapter four and Jesus was there with the woman at the well and as he was speaking to her, he told her the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is seeking those who will truly worship him in spirit and in truth. And if God is expecting something from me, then my best decision is to choose that path. God expects worship from you. God expects praise from you. What does your church attendance look like? You say, well, I'm in Bible college. I'm in chapel five days a week. I'm, I'm, I'm here on Sunday. If I'm not, I won't be here anymore. I won't, allow, I won't be allowed to be here. 
What do you do when you're here? Where's your mindset at right now? When you were singing the hymn just a few, hymns just a few minutes ago, where was your heart at? Were you, were you singing to God? Were you praising him? What about on Sundays? Where's your heart at as you approach God? As we approach the corporate worship together. You know, Dio Moody on this thought, he said, do not flatter yourselves. If you go to places of worship merely to look about you or to hear music, you are not worshiping God. How do you view your time at church? What are you seeking to get? I love that pointed question from Moody. As we come, are we, are we coming to see everyone? To sit by that special someone, to be, just be blessed? Well, the last seven years, I was a music pastor there in Indiana. I'm so thankful for the people I was able to serve with and all that we were able to do there. But I've heard it said, you know, I, I didn't really get anything from church today. It really wasn't my favorite. You know, the songs that were sung, they're not, I don't like them as much as the others or the song the choir sang. It was okay. It was okay. It didn't do a whole lot for me. I don't like that hymn as, as much as, as this one. You know, if, if we're not careful, sometimes we can approach worship or service with the mindset of what can you do for me instead of what can I do for him? Is that a priority for you? Is it your heart's desire to truly praise and worship God? Are we coming to get or to give? What is God getting from you? He seeks true worship. You know, the psalmist wrote, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. David himself in 2 Samuel, he said, wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all we have heard with our ears. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Let me ask you, has your roommate heard you praise God? Has your roommate heard you speak of the goodness of God? What about your coworkers? About your girlfriend, your boyfriend, people you have influence over? Do you praise God? You know, you're in a place right now preparing for what God has for you in the next stage of your life. And is it, is it a priority not just to learn about him or learn how to, to do the job that's coming? Or is it a priority also just to know him more, to worship him as you should, to obey the commands that he's given us? And we see these priorities of Mary and Joseph. We also, as we continue on here, see the priorities of Jesus. Joseph and Mary, they began their journey back home unaware he was left in Jerusalem. And he was lost by his parents. They began their journey not realizing he was gone. And before you judge them too harshly, as they made these, these types of journeys, the men and the women often would travel separately. And it's, it's quite possible, and it's most likely that Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. Joseph possibly thought Jesus was with Mary. You know, there may be a college student here this morning. You can look back 5, 10, maybe 15 years ago where you were left on a Sunday in, in church. Anybody like that? Whoa, that's a lot more than I thought. Still a little scarred by that. About a year ago, we were there, there in Indianapolis still, and 
and my wife grew up in this church. Her, both sets of great-grandparents were there when we moved there, and her parents, her brothers, her sisters, a large family. And every Sunday, we'd go to the same Mexican restaurant for lunch, every, every Sunday. Same waiter. We didn't even have to order. We'd just get there. He'd bring the food out. It was wonderful. But with all the family there and all of us going there each week, my kids desired to ride with anybody but me or their mother most of the time. And, and so many times one would go with the one great grandma, the other go with the other, and one go with their nana or their poppy or their aunt or their uncle. And, and so sometimes we'd know who they were with and other times we would just guess because we don't see our kids running around the church. And I remember being about five minutes away from the church at one point and I get a phone call and they say, hey, is, uh, are you guys uh, here? Charlotte's looking for you. And I said, well, I'll be there shortly. And we, we came back to church and I remember driving under the awning there and seeing my little girl <laughs> mean mugging me as I drive up. There in verse 44, it says that they went a whole day's journey without him. So you think one day away, one day getting back, Another day looking for him, three days Jesus was missing and they found him in the temple right where they left him. Could imagine Mary at that moment as a, a worried mother would be talking to him in that way a mother would talk to their son after missing them for three days. You know, Mary and Joseph didn't know where Jesus was, but Jesus was never lost. He was in the temple sitting in the middle of all these highly educated religious men, very aware of his identity for three days, talking with them about the word to a point where they were astonished by what he was saying. But his priority was his father's business. His priority was his father's will. He called God his father there in verse 49. And in the earliest recorded words in scripture we have of Jesus, he declared his purpose. His purpose was to do his father's will. His earthly parents didn't need to worry about him at this moment because he was going to fulfill the work of his father. In this portion, he said, I must. Five times in scripture, we find Jesus saying those words. Luke chapter four, he said, I must preach. In Luke chapter nine, it says the son of man must suffer. In John chapter three, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and he said, the son of man must be lifted up. In John chapter nine, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And here in John chapter two, he said, I must be about my father's business. His entire life, he was de dedicated and determined to do the will of his father. That was his must. What's yours? In our life, we should be about the father's business. Many years ago, Billy Graham said, when we come to Christ, we're no longer the most important person in the world to us. Christ is. Instead of living only for ourselves, we have a higher goal to live for Jesus. My life first is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, and it says, And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If we're not careful, often we will look at ourselves and maybe look at the life that we are living and the separation we may have and all that we are doing for God. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will think because we're doing those things, we deserve a pat on the back. Or we're doing better than others or we're really up there in what we're doing for the Lord. But what does he tell us there? It's reasonable. It's expected. 
There's nothing special about the Christian that is doing what God has commanded them to do or expects them to do. Our life should be about that. Not about ourselves, not about what, our, what we want for our will or for our own life, but about what he has told us to do and the life that is in him. That should be our greatest desire to please him. We should have the same approach that Jesus had in, his, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer when he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He was about his father's business. That's the introduction. Here's the message. You know, as, as we look at Mary and Joseph, in this week of their life, they did a lot of good things. The priorities were where they needed to be. They set a great example for any who could see, but for one day, there was an incorrect assumption made. Look at me with verse 44. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. As already mentioned, it's very likely they traveled in a large caravan of people and they just assumed their son, as, as it says, they supposed he was there, but he wasn't. The Christian life is not to be based upon assumptions, but on convictions. And we live for the Lord. We, we walk with him based on what we know to be true, not what we assume. Now, there's some, there may be some here this morning that you look at your life and Maybe you assume or suppose that because you're here at Bible college that you're walking with Jesus. Because you're learning about what the word of God says and you are surrendered to service and that it means that you're where you need to be in your walk with him. Maybe others in this world assume because their level of morality is higher than, than many others or maybe because your level of morality is higher than, than your roommate or somebody else that you come across or the things you are doing are, are better than the others that because of that, you are walking with Jesus. That you're in a right relationship with God. I'm gonna remind you, Mary and Joseph and the family, they spent an entire week together, a whole week thinking about the Lamb. A whole week celebrating the Passover, a whole week thinking of how their ancestors were, were saved and celebrating knowing that one day the Messiah would come and do the exact same thing for them. One week thinking about the lamb and they left without him. They took his presence for granted. They, did, they didn't talk to him that day. They didn't walk with him that day. They journeyed without him. Is it possible this morning that some of us have supposed we were walking with Jesus and didn't realize that somewhere we left without him? They made a wrong assumption. And that assumption brought separation. Mary and Joseph, they, they didn't make sure Jesus was with them and they traveled an entire day's journey and separated themselves from his presence. What we have here is a difference between a relationship and fellowship. Jesus was the son of Mary. That's the relationship. Not, nothing that could be done could change the fact that Jesus was Mary's son. The relationship was intact. 
But for those three days, she couldn't speak to him. She couldn't touch him. She couldn't hear his voice. Was there a relationship? Yeah. Was there fellowship? No. No, you're here in Bible college in a chapel service with a desire to be a good Christian. You're an adopted son or daughter of God. You, you go to church regularly. You, you may work in a Sunday school class or junior church or, or bus route. You're learning the Greek or the Hebrew. You're learning how to counsel people. You are knocking doors. You are soul winning. And you can do those things assuming that Jesus is with you, not realizing you're going without him. He's still your savior. You're still a Christian. The relationship has not changed, but the fellowship may not be what it once was. And because of that, you don't hear his voice. You don't sense his presence or his touch in your life as maybe when you were closer to him. Is anyone there this morning? There's a time where you walked with him every day as you should and you read his word and you talked with him in prayer and now it's been days, weeks since you were where you needed to be with him. There's a separation. Relationships there, but no fellowship. You know, Mary and Joseph never had any intention to go anywhere without Jesus, but they did. For one day, what did that cost them? Three days. Going one day without Jesus can cost you a lot more than that. A life can be ruined in a day. Relationships can be demolished. Your qualification of ministry can be lost just like that. If I asked you to this morning, many, many of you could probably list names of people that you once knew that had a desire to serve God and be in ministry and serve them with their life that are no longer in a position to do that. I can think back in Bible college. I remember my freshman year, at Bible college, we had the, the record number of students that year for, at Heartland. We lost 50 in the first two months. How many once surrendered lives would be different if they were committed to daily walking with Jesus as they should? It's possible to be a student at West Coast Baptist College and not be close to Jesus. It's possible to do all, all these things and to, serve and to be in service to God and heavily involved and not be doing it by, by walking with Jesus. I'm not asking you this morning if you serve in ministries or if you want to serve God. I'm asking, is walking with Jesus, is having fellowship with him today a priority to you? You say, you know what, I'm, I'm really, I'm not where I should be. And he seems far away. My heart isn't as it once was. What can I do? Start looking and don't stop till you find him. I'm reminded of what David said in Psalm 63 where he said, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Is that, is that how much you desire Christ? Is that how much you desire fellowship with your God? Is that you? I, th I think of Mary and Joseph, they started looking and, and there were obstacles in the way of finding him. And they went that first day just to arrive back to Jerusalem and, and they didn't find him immediately. 
They went place to place. You know, I've never uh, had to search for one of my kids in a place, in a position like that. But I couldn't imagine having to do so. You could think of Mary and Joseph frantically going about town and looking for him in every place they could and, and, and trying to cry out his name and, and, and ask if anybody had seen him and going place to place, searching everywhere possible three days without him until they were finally reunited. The pursuit for Christ must be done for yourself, by yourself. Now, I can't do it for you. Brother or sister can't do it for you. Your mom or dad, your friend, your roommate, your professor. Must be done for, for you. Pursue him. Find him. And abide in him. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Do you want to make a difference? You look at your life and you look at what you're, you're surrendered to and what you desire God to use you to do. Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to see, do you want to see fruit come from your life? Do you want to, as you're in ministry one day, for God to use you in a great way? you want to accomplish something for him? Abide. How do we do that? Prayer. Reading your Bible. Denying self, drawing nigh to him. Total surrender. There are so many Christians, so many people in ministry that are fruitless and barren. Does that describe you today? Are you bearing fruit for the Lord? Don't go without him. If you've been walking without him, don't take another step without his presence in your life. There are people under your influence at this very moment that need you to be walking with Jesus. There's a little brother, a little sister back home, a cousin an old friend that is thinking of you at this moment in Bible college, that is looking up to you, looking to, for you to, to help them, encourage them, that is wanting to follow in your footsteps. They need you to be walking with Jesus. You may have a boyfriend or girlfriend at this moment, or there's a, there's, one day you have a wife that's gonna need a husband that is walking with Jesus. There's a, there's a, there's a husband one day that is gonna need a wife that is walking with Jesus. In just a few short years for many of you, there are little kids right now in, in, a, in a church somewhere across America or the world that are going to need a youth pastor or a youth pastor's wife that are walking with Jesus. There's congregations of people all over the world that need us to be walking with Jesus, need his presence in our life. Your children one day are going to need a mom and dad that's walking with Jesus. There's some professors or staff members in here this morning. This place needs you to be walking with Jesus. Is it possible that some of us have been so busy that we've made an incorrect assumption that has caused us to be separated from him for a time? I was a pastor's son 
went to Bible college and traveled for uh, groups for Heartland for a couple years. My third year, I was ready to get married. I was very tired of being in the dorms. Then my, in my personal life, my dad, the one, I looked, I, one that I looked up to most, there's a lot of hypocrisy in his life, and my father's no longer in ministry at this time. But in my third year of Bible college, I became very bitter. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I went to class. I went to chapel. I worked. I just wanted to get out of there and get married and live my life. I finished that third year of Bible college, not telling anybody, but after I got married, I had no intention of, of going back and no intention of doing ministry because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to be like the, the, the people that I very much cared for and looked up to in my life. I grew more and more bitter. I had a relationship with Jesus. I was saved. But there was absolutely no fellowship. We were married for about six months. I remember many, many days my wife would be there in the house and asking me what's wrong with me. Why I'm not like I used to be. Why I'm just irritated at everybody all the time. While there's no joy in my, in, on my face. Went to visit her family over Christmas time, and I remember, I, I can't even tell you what the, my, my pastor was preaching that day, but I was there in the pew there in Indiana, and the Lord started speaking to me. And, and basically, I came to this point where I felt the Lord was giving me one last opportunity to come back to him. Went to the altar, I met with my wife's pastor, and we ended up moving to Indiana, and not really knowing what the future would hold, we had revival services shortly after. I, I gave some more things up to the Lord and started to, to just walk with him every day and started to fellowship with him more. A few months after that, I got a job at a local mission there in Indianapolis. I was the assistant director of a youth center. I preached to inner city kids every day, feed them dinner, preach to them, take them home. After 10 months of doing that, an opportunity came up for me to work at our church and to be an intern there. And I started working with junior hires and had a bus route and was able to do a lot of other things learning in ministry that I never thought I'd have an opportunity to do again. Now I'm a pastor in the desert in Texas. Little steps. Choosing every day to make Jesus a priority made all the difference in my life. There's many of you here this morning that have a calling on your life. You can do it with him or you can do it without him. One way has his joy, one way doesn't. One way has his blessings, another way doesn't. One way has his power and the other one's gonna run out. A little over a month ago, I packed my family up and drove 18 hours to Midland, Texas. The stakes are high. There's people that God wants my family to reach. I'm a crier. My, wife, my wife's not, I am. She, if she's here, maybe she could help me out. But We're just trying to be there and, and love people, bring them to Jesus. On Sunday, the last two weeks, my son's basketball coach at the YMCA has come. The last two Sunday mornings, invitation time, raised his hand real high there with his wife. 
And after service Sunday morning, we were out at Dickie's Barbecue, and I told him, I said, John, I'm thankful you guys have been here, and there's something I want to talk to you about. It's about heaven. I want you to go there. And his wife looked at us, and she says, we want to know how to get there. Now, we went through for 30 minutes talking to him and his wife, and he came to a point where he said, you know what, I know I need to do it, and I, I want to go, but I'm just not at a place in my life where I can have it. And I said, John, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you wait any longer, God, he wants you now. If we keep waiting, we'll never be ready. And there they bowed their head and trusted Christ, and I remember looking over at my boys. My son giving me the thumbs up. They get to see God working. What would be happening if their mom and I were walking with Jesus? There's a work God has called us to do. And I'm determined to do it with him. Are you?